Welcome to the 31st episode of the Invincibly Supermassive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. I'm Tony Guerrero, Editor-in-Chief of ComicVine.com. And with me this week is the writer of Red Hood and the Outlaws, Talon, the Eighth Seal, and probably some other stuff that we haven't heard about yet. We got James Tynan, the Fourth. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's uh, gearing up for... I, I keep hope, hoping this weekend will also turn into another three-day like holiday weekend, but I know that's not the case, and I actually have to get all my work done. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's still it's weird, even as a freelancer where I, days don't really mean everything being on a like being on a Friday. It's always a good feeling, although now I realize, as I'm saying it, that this doesn't come out on Friday. So yeah, well. everyone's going to see that <laughs> next week. But Fridays yeah. are still nice. I will say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's always crazy. Um, Fridays for me, you're, you're recording regular pot so this friday people you know since we're revealing you know a little behind the curtain so yeah <laughs> recording this podcast and we'll be doing the other podcast which they probably have already heard by the time they're listening to this so that's where the, the whole time travel thing always gets tricky when when we record these shows but um <laughs> so this week um red hood and the outlaws annual number one so it, it was nice that they waited until you took over the book to release the first annual because before, you know, there was that, that Scott Lovedell guy, and they're like, eh, we were not going to do an annual for him. So, um, well, I, yeah, it was, it, it actually it came up uh, just a little into the process of me uh, working on the book. Uh, originally, the, we were going to have the uh, bring in Cheshire uh, and sort of move the story forward like this uh, in just the regular issues. I think there was a, there were a couple of uh, early interviews about it with, uh, about me on the series that would talk about how I wanted to get into Roy Harper's past and how I was going to sort of slowly unveil that over the first arc. And the way it turned out is that we all of a sudden had this, the opportunity to do a big, you know, a big double-sized annual. And that's like, and that was the perfect place to sort of get inside Roy's head, reveal some cool moments from his past you know, you know, show show the the deterioration of the friendship between uh, Ollie and Roy there, um, and you know, it was a great opportunity to do that, and also to introduce Cheshire and really start moving this story forward towards uh, you know what what I was really trying to set out and tell uh, from the beginning. Yeah, because you definitely planted a lot of different seeds. Like, I mean, there's there's so many like branching storylines that, that just come out of this. And I mean, it, it's, it's really cool to, although now we, we got to sit and wait to see, you know, which, which ones you're going to take on first, you know? Oh yeah. Cause but, you, you know, I, I think you might be surprised there were, I'm going to be uh, juggling a lot of uh, different things that are going to be happening that se- do not seem tied together now, but uh, as, as the story moves forward and in the next issue in particular, you're going to see exactly uh, how the pieces come together. 
And uh, now we know uh, Shesher and Bronze Tiger are uh, members of the League of Assassins, uh, and they're going to be central to the story that's coming up. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're done with seeing a couple of familiar faces connected to the League of Assassins. Uh, there's one more figure in particular who I'm very excited to play with, and uh, you will see that character pop up in the next issue, uh, 21, I believe. Yeah, 21. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the that character has already appeared in the New 52, but uh, not not in connection to these characters uh so so as you're saying all this you know league of assassins characters i i got like this big grin on my face and i'm like it's like i don't i'm not even gonna ask because you know i i i think maybe i know and there's someone i'm hoping it would be but i i, I guess we'll just leave it at that because i'm not even say <laughs> is it this person and then you're like i can't answer because you know so what, what i mean that's a great tease you know it's a great yeah. setup it's like definitely people are gonna have to pick up the next issue to, to see whatever see yeah. who, who shows up so so that, yeah. that I'm, I'm excited about that because like yeah when i saw that last page in league of assassins i was like oh are we gonna go here and then if we're gonna go here are we gonna go there which that may be something else that not yet but <laughs> if you know what i'm talking about i think i do but i can't like, <laughs> yeah, 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 acknowledge yeah, it in yeah, any yeah, direction yeah that's that's totally fine so with with the having to do the annual um like like how much of a heads up because you're, you're you know you're, you're you're you signed on to do the series and then they're like, oh, by the way, you know, you, you have your monthly deadlines to do each issue, but we're going to throw in this annual, you know, between issues 20 and 21. And, I mean, <laughs> did, did, did they, they give you a little bit of you know, extra you know, heads up on that? Or is it just like you got an extra book to do this month? Um, I, I mean, it, it was a bit uh, it got a little hectic there because I, I wasn't when I was first outlining the story, I wasn't aware that we were going to have this guy. But uh you know, once once it was laid out, it actually made perfect sense and it helped shorten the story that we're trying to tell, which, you know, I didn't want it to get too out of control. And, you know, like uh, so it, being able to sort of get this this segment of the story out there in a much more uh, com- like compact package and really dig into where all the characters are after uh what happened after everything that happened up in the himalayas uh with the all cast um you know it's uh it, it was a great opportunity um but i mean yeah that like all of a sudden it's it's great it's uh you know it's a mixed blessing when all of a sudden you find out oh you have an extra 38 pages to write this <laughs> month um but uh but you know i'm very ha- i was you know i was happy to be able to do it and I had done the Mr. Freeze Batman annual the previous year, which is good because that when I was writing that one, that was the one that I needed. Like that, that was the crazy, like I, I felt I was going a little crazy cause I had never, I was just only writing the backups at that point, And they asked me to write a 30 page, 38 page thing. And obviously I had Scott there to guide me through it, but, uh, 30, a thir- pacing a 38 page story is definitely, uh, definitely a uh you know a task so i'm i'm glad that this was my uh second uh, second time doing that after and this time after having written lots of full length issues as opposed to the first time when it was just like oh you're going from 8 pages to 38 pages that's uh that's a bit of a jump hmm. 
So um, one thing I got to ask in in the annual, uh, we find out Jason's um, confirmed kill count. Right. So where did you come up with that number, or I mean, where where did who? I mean, was that something like this sounds about right, or this is what we'll we'll go with, or are you just like I happen to like that number? <laughs> I mean, uh, I spent a lot of time talking to uh, my editor Eddie Berganza about that number and making sure that. It was the, you know, it was right. And I, I, it needed to be, you know, you know, sizable, but also reasonable. Like, you know, it's easy, especially in comics to go for the big exaggerated numbers. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, I always, whenever someone, uh, lists how many people jokers killed, that always seems like a very low ball (laughs) number. So I wanted to make sure that this didn't seem outrageous, but it's also, these are the confirmed kills. These are the the things that like government agents around the world have been able to tie to the figure ne- known as the red hood. So, you know, there, there could be more out there and, you know, cause Jason's been out and around for a long time and, you know, it, and we've seen, he uh, has had a very little regard for killing in the past um, just because he, and I think a lot of that comes from a very, it came from a very reactionary place in trying to reject the way that Batman had taught him. Um, and coming, coming at this from, you know, it, in a way it's, it's, it comes, it stems out of his rage, but, uh, you know, we've seen more and more of the, you know, regret and, you know, like there is this, uh, great line. I forget how, how it went exactly from one of, uh, Scott Lobdell's last issues where, uh, it was pointed out that to some people, Jason is their joker. He's the person who comes in and ruins their lives by, you know, uh, you know, by just throwing everything into chaos. Uh, and he's not giving people the chance to redeem themselves. Like he, he's had that chance, you know, and that, that was a really powerful, uh, thought to me. And it was just like, so I I did want, I, you know, and that, so there's a great opportunity here, especially with uh, Jason's memories being uh, taken away from him, for him to take, be able to take that third person perspective to what he's been doing all this time and sort of, you know, ha- have the debate again, like of what, what, whether what he's been doing is good, is right. Because I do think that at his core, Jason wants to be good. And I do think that when he was killing people, he thought that that was what the good thing was to do. And I don't think this, you know, where the story's not going to end, I don't think is Jason becoming, you know, uh, like a peacenik kind of guy. I think he is a very pragmatic person, but he he is going to have to, uh, you know, question himself over the course of the story, uh, especially as he you know, runs into the figures from his past uh, in regards to the League of Assassins and, you know, some of the other people he trained with aside from the all-cast before he came to Gotham City. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it's pretty crazy because, um, and, and, you know, I, I think that that number, it's, it's, a, it's a great number. And like you said, I'm, I'm glad it's not like, you know, he killed, you know, 5,000 people. Because <laughs> it's like, I, I guess I never really thought about it. It's like, I, I know that, you know, he obviously killed some people and, you know, when he was Red Hood and you know, he did some bad things, but I never really thought about how many he, he would have done, you know, and then you got that whole idea that, you know, like how many of these kills is Batman aware of? Cause you know, he's supposed to know everything and it just, it kind of puts like that awkward 
element to the whole relationship. And, and, you know, we, we got to see some um, flashback scenes, you know, in, in the other issue where, you know, him working as an assassin. So, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's great how you're just adding like another layer to the whole Jason Todd, Red Hood, you know, story that I never really thought about. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's part of what, you know, I wanted to come onto the series and do is really sort of explore, you know, the, the areas of these characters that haven't really been discussed in the last uh, year, which is also what, where I wanted to go with, you know, the the biggest thing that I think this story is about is trust and the breakdown of trust that's happening between these three friends, because they've been hanging, hanging around, goofing around for, uh, a long time and going on these big adventures and they care about each other deeply, but there's so much they haven't let each other in on. Roy is so attached to these two. He's made, he's made in his head. I, I don't think he believes that he'd be capable of sort of thriving on his own anymore. He, he needs, he needs these friends in his life. Um, because he is, you know, he has a lot of insecurity issues with, uh, what happens with, uh, Green Arrow. And, you know, because of that, he's a great friend, but he's, uh, like he, he does, he gets, uh, he gets vulnerable and because he cares so much about the people in his life. Um, and so as everything's sort of falling apart and he's the one who's sort of desperately trying to be like, no, we have to stay together. We have to stay together. That's going to prove to you know, that's going to be like the center point of uh, his mindset moving forward. Like, yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to come with him and Corey. And then also, you know, just where like all, all these characters are going to I'm, I'm going to I'm taking them through the ringer a bit uh, as a part of this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that, you know, this isn't, you know, and, and we'll see where, where it all ends up. I think, I think people who, who love the series are going to be very happy with, with where it ends up, but I wanted to, I really wanted them to actually go through something big that called all of their uh, relationships into question. So they have to make the active decision to stay together. Um, and that's sort of what the, a lot of the point of the series, uh, this little bit is, uh, this story is with, uh, you know, them basically having to decide, is their destiny as, as a group or is it something separate? Yeah. Cause it's almost like, it's like, here's these characters that, you know, we've been reading for you know 20 issues and, and now you're just tearing them all apart and <laughs> breaking up the team and, you know, having to go, you know, all, all this, you know, conflict and everything and. But, yeah, but you know, and I think uh you know, I've uh like in a weird way I've been sort of see- seeing uh, Roy as the fan uh the reader uh figure in this story because he's going to be the one. There's a line in the next issue even where he's just talking about it. it's like, you know, that this does like there something's pulling us all apart and I don't understand what it is. Um and we like someone is doing this, like something is trying to pull us all apart. Um, and that, that, that's, that question is really going to drive what the larger story is at play here. Now, um, I'm, I'm assuming we haven't seen the, the last of, um, Roy's past. You know, that there's still, cause 
you got Hugo Strange in the issue. So it's like, yeah, you can't just, yeah. you know, throw him in a flashback and just, you know, leave it at that. So it's like, uh, well, Hugo has a, Hugo has an important part right at the beginning of this story we're telling. And I do, and we are going to, uh, like, I do uh, want to come back and, you know, there's still a lot to reveal about, uh, Roy's past. Um, but the, but right now the story is going to lean, uh, lean heavily into, uh, the league of assassins and, uh, the other major players that, uh, you know, have only been hinted at to this point. And, and then, um, the other thing, you know, I, I got to bring up. So we, we got another glimpse recently. Um, so we know that there's something between Starfire and, and Nightwing. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming maybe that's something, you know, you're sticking a pin in and, you know, just leave hanging for, for a little bit. That's a story I very, very, very much want to tell. Um, but it's also a story that, you know, it, all the pieces need to fall into place for that story to be told the way it needs to be told. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been making movements to try to get, get to tell that story the right way. And, uh, you know, keep, keep your fingers crossed. It's, I definitely want uh, at some point in the near future to, like, bring – to. Uh, you know, to explore uh, that past between uh, Nightwing and Starfire and really show why that moment, because uh, the flashback moment there, uh, what Corey's afraid of there isn't, it's not, uh, I just want to make it clear, it's not just that she's like had a bad breakup with Dick Grayson and she's been moping about it, so she had to erase it from her memory. There's something bigger there, it's a bigger story. Um, so yeah, the, that, but, and it's a story I very much want to tell. So, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I'll say it's like, it was interesting that, you know, Nightwing was wearing his red outfit at the time. So it's like, you know, wheels are spinning, you know, trying to see like, when could this have happened? But what I, what I think a lot of people don't understand that it, it's not like you can simply say, I want to tell the story right now. It's like, you know, especially when, when you have characters that are involved in, in other books that there's a whole, there's a whole big editorial process that, you know, people don't, I, I don't think they, they, they consider when, you know, they, they just look at what the writer does on a book and, you know, they'll ask, how come this didn't happen or how come that didn't happen? And, and there's so much, I, I wouldn't necessarily say politics, but it's, it's not like you can just walk up and say, Hey, I'm going to use this character, whether you like it or not. And so, you know, yeah, pe- people need need to remember that, especially now. Yeah. Now that Kyle's taken, you know, he he wants a hog Nightwing all to himself, and yeah, that jerk, yeah, he's that like, jerk Kyle. I'm taking him to Chicago because no one else is here. <laughs> so you guys can't use him. But, yeah, but 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 you know, Kyle and I are good friends, and we've talked a lot about uh, what what we'd want to do if we ever could get all these crazy kids together. So, yeah, so. I, I will say that. <laughs> Yeah, and 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 I also want to say, you know, it's it's great that we we finally got to see more, you know, between Roy and and Ollie because you know we I think we just we only got like a couple glimpses of that before, and you know we we knew that there was a story there, so it's it's nice to to get yeah. to see some more. I mean, I'm pretty sure the only moment that uh, they've actually been on panel together in the New Fifty Two was the backup story to Green uh, Green Arrow Zero. Uh, which is it's a, something that I sort of uh, I use I use that scene in uh, like I 
gave a glimpse of that scene in this issue. It's the one where Ollie goes and finds Roy in the prison. Yeah. Um, and just says, you know, I, I want to start, like, I need a tech guy basically. Um, so the, that, so that was sort of the beginning of their friendship. And, you know, I will say that this was, you know, it's very much, this is, uh, uh, Roy's perspective, uh, on what happened there. And, you know, like he, he's very, like, you know, but we saw the person who was giving him advice and helping, uh, him process what was happening to him in that past with, uh, and that was Dr. Hugo Strange, who isn't exactly the, the best psychologist to be trusting with all of your deepest, darkest worries. So, you know, all of, all of that will eventually come to a head. Um, and, uh, we will, we'll see what happens. And, you know, like I would love to, uh, you know, do, do a story, a bigger story with green arrow and Roy. I know, uh, you know, I've chatted briefly with Jeff Lemire a couple of times to see whether or not that could be a possibility down the road. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot more to reveal about the dynamics of their friendship and the moment that it fell apart. Um, now, yeah. is it um, established like what the age difference is between the two, or is that just like a, a fuzzy thing that we're just not going to worry about right now? I like. I think there there are internal answers to those questions, but I think that I, I prefer to keep it kind of fuzzy, yeah. where it's you know, like. Green Arrow is probably a couple years younger than Batman, and, uh, Dick, and but I view uh, Roy Harper as roughly the same age as Nightwing, yeah. and uh, so they're probably. I would say that uh, Roy, Roy and Ollie are closer in age to uh, Dick and Bruce, mm-hmm. um, but you know. It, but aside from that, I think it's easy to get bogged down in what the actual numbers are, and it's better to sort of, you know, keep in mind the sliding, uh, mm-hmm. sliding timeline there, and just make sure that every, like it, the, as long as it works in the generalities, uh, that that's what's important. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's just a, the good and bad thing about the new Fifty Two, and and you know, I I wasn't like a, I I wasn't you know because a lot of people were the longtime readers were were very. Um, opposed to the idea. And, you know, I, I was open-minded just because I had been reading comics for so long. And, you know, you, you see when big changes happen and you kind of just roll with the punches and all that. But I'm, you know, the, the more we, we see, I, I'm, I'm letting go of some of my nitpicking nature. And, you know, it's, it's like, like, you know, like Hugh was strange. Cause you know, that him appearing here, you know, of course that brings in all, all the questions like, well, what Hugo Strange stories have happened before and, you know, what's his connection with Batman before and all that. But, but on the other hand, I was just excited to see him. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I'm not even going to worry about that. And so I don't know if I'm maturing as a longtime reader or I'm just enjoying, you know, a, as it comes. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely have the exact same uh, nitpicky uh, reactions to a lot of things that I've also had to let go uh, especially in writing the, especially in writing the characters, just being like, okay, I need to sort of, you know, let things be the first time things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, but 
but yeah, it's, uh, it's all a figuring, it's all a process. It's all just figuring out, uh, you know, what are the best stories that we can tell with these characters? And I think a lot of times, if the best stories we can tell mean that, you know, it's it might throw an older story out of continuity because it's the new 52, we're able to make those kinds of decisions or and we're encouraged to. Yeah. Um, so, like, it... and But honestly, I think as long as, you know... As long as good stories are being told, like, in the end, what's good, like, you know, five, ten years from now, what lasts are the, are the best stories of every era. Um, and, you know, and, like, I, we've seen it a hundred times before. Continuity always sorts, sort of asserts itself around the best stories that everyone remembers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's like, I, I'm always down for reinterpretations that... Uh, new takes yeah i mean you, you gotta make some sacrifices sometimes and you know you and you as a reader you just have to assume and trust that you know it's it's all for the best and you know just wait and see how it plays out um it's it's just unfortunate that some people don't want to wait to see how it turns out you know they're, they're just so they just react so immediately without giving it a chance right and, yeah and you know, but and I think part of that is like, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to make sure, especially with this issue, with the annual, um, like it would have been very easy just to in a single page or two pages in a two page flashback uh, of a much bigger story to give a very succinct reason, it, like give the very succinct reason of why uh, of the moment that. Roy and Ollie stopped being a, a team. And, but this is the first time we've ever seen them together. Like I, I, the ground, this is just the, the groundwork needed to be set. Um, and that's very much what we wanted to do in this issue. So when we go back to them, if we're go, when we tell that story, we need to give it the room to be told in the best way possible. Okay. Um, now as, as far as Talon, Actually, no. One, one more thing about about Red Hood, um, and answer this if if you can, if you want any any plans for new member to the Outlaws. Um, I would say that uh, this is my sort of pat answer to this for a while has been if we have the opportunity to do that, I know exactly who I want to bring in. Um, but because I know exactly who I want to bring in and I would love for it to happen at some point down the line, not, not any time in the next, you know, six months or anything, uh, you know, I have to sort of keep, you know, keep that to myself and try to build it in the way for the, the best for the series. But right now this is a story about these three characters yeah, I mean- and that, that is by and large, that, that is by and large what I'm looking to do. Uh, and explore. Yeah, because you know, I, I'm kind of torn, like whether I'd want to see anyone else join. Because you know, when you have a team book, it, it's you know, it's always great to have different members and a different dynamics, relationships, and you know, just seeing how it all, all plays out. But at the same time, like you said, this this book is really about the relationship between the three. So it's like you know, bringing someone else in. It's like you know, it, it's like you, you kind of don't want that. You, so yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't. I don't know where I fully stand. Like if 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 
DC came to me and says, hey, Tony, we're going to let you decide. Should there be another member? I don't know what I would say. Not that DC is ever going to do that. But <laughs> uh, Now, let's talk about Talon. It's like, holy crap. Um, I'm going to admit, so issue eight has been out a couple weeks now, three uh, by the time this comes out. like Right. Um, and something big happened in issue seven, so it, it's got to be out there. And I'm going to admit, when I saw that, when and I'm just going to go out and say, when Calvin Rose died, I didn't buy it. I was just like, like no, you know, it, it's not going to happen. And even uh, when I started reading issue eight, I was, I was like, no, you know, it, it's a trick. There, it's not happening. And then you see him lying on the floor and his head's like kind of twisted. And I was like, holy crap. So um, I'm, I'm sure this is something you had planned. This I don't necessarily want a new direction, but this, you know, taking Calvin this, this way, this is something that you yeah. had planned from the beginning. This was part of the original pitch for the series. Yeah. This is this moment is what we've been building to for a very, very long time. And it really sort of starts to set up the end game of, you know, not not the end game of the series, but the end game of the story that began with Talon number zero and Talon number one. Like now uh, everything, you know, the true, true identity of Sebastian Clark. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry about that. No problem. The uh, the true identity of Sebastian Clark has been revealed. The fact that he is the former Grandmaster of the Court of Owls, and that Calvin has been secretly doing the bidding of the man who actually recruited him as a child. That that has now come in. That has totally changed uh, the direction of the book, mm-hmm. and. Especially because, you know, as you said, Calvin dies and then is resurrected by the Court of Owls as a active Talon again. He is once, for the first time since he uh, escaped uh, Gotham City seven years ago, he is the Talon of the Court of Owls again. Um, and they have Casey and Sarah Washington uh, under their control, so they... They have the upper hand. Um, and, you know, we're going to see how Calvin reacts to that and what happens next, especially because it's not its not like the Court of Owls has Calvin's best interest at heart in resurrecting him. Mm-hmm. They want very specific things out of him. And at the end of the day, they are going to simply discard, discard him and uh, end the people he cares about. So he has, he has a very, you know... He does not have a very uh, good situation going on right now. Cause, yeah. and, and now you know, it, it's, it's changed his appearance. So if he manages to you know break away even temporarily, um, he, he's going to be – it's going to be kind of noticeable that he's not like a normal person because yeah. you know, he's yeah. kind of white and veiny. And so it's not like you know, he can just throw on a you know, baseball cap and you – know, in a trench coat because people, if they see him, they're going to be like, what's up, dude? <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Like, you know, he, he's never going to be able to sort of live a normal life now. Yeah. Nor- normalcy is out of the question. Yeah, so I mean, that's when I saw it, I was, I was like, holy crap. I mean, it's like it's it's a bold decision. And, you know, obviously you've had a plan. I, I know you have 
the entire big picture, like well, well beyond like, you know, where this is going to go. But I was like, was like, wow, that, you know, it is a game changer. I mean, it, it changes everything like where you kind of think the book could go at some point. Cause now it's, it's kind of like, well, it can't go over there. So it's, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, cause I, I've always been waiting, you know, at, we know it's inevitable at some point um, he's going to meet up with Batman. And, you know, we, we, yeah. we saw a little hints of that before. And, you know, for, for me looking ahead, it, it it seems like at some point you know he may even become an ally of Batman and, and become part of the Bat family. It's like this this kind of changes things in a way. So it's 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 really um it it's it's crazy and it, yeah and and so now um we got a crossover with, with Birds of Prey. So is this a situation where you have to read Birds of Prey? Uh, I would recommend it. I mean, it's. Uh... Like we'll sort of we'll cover what happened in the Birds of Prey issue at the beginning of uh, Talon Nine, but you know Birds of Prey Twenty One is the is the middle step, and it's also where if you want the big full on uh, you know uh, crazy battle between uh, Calvin and Strix, uh, that that's that's where the heart of that battle happens. Um, because that's the moment when they first meet face to face. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely recommend picking it up. It's a really good, really strong issue. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, uh, was, very very happy to be able to do that and bring those two characters together uh for the first time. Yeah. So um here's a here's a question that was sent to our other podcast um cuz you know they they often ask us our thoughts on stuff, you know, not that we have insider information or anything like that, but this was from CJ Udelson. Um he says Talon has been a rocking series since the beginning, but as of late James has been hitting it out of the park. You guys talked about it last week, but my question is, do you think Calvin Rose can get out of the servitude scenario with his loved ones held prisoner and already being tortured? Um, and I, again, I'm not asking you, I'm just letting you know what, what he says, because that, that's the big question is, and you know, because of the nature of comics, you know, we, we have to assume that at some point, possibly, not necessarily, he's going to get away from, from the court. But just to, like what we don't know is, is like, how can that happen? And what would that mean? And so it's, yeah, it's well, keep reading. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've got plans. We've got, uh, some pretty, pretty big, crazy plans. You know, we're about to enter a few months, a few months, uh, with Bane, uh, and we're going to be going down to, uh, Santa Prisca and digging into some of these new characters that have been appearing in connection to Bane. Uh, and then, you know, well, uh, and then it, everything's going to come to a head this fall. Like that, that, that I'll say is the, you know, that's when a lot of the pieces sort of come together and, uh, we get, we're going to get some resolution on some major, major issues that have been, uh, haunting the series for a while. Nice. Now, uh, another question that came up before was, um, this is more general about Bane and, and how like, in movies, like, you know, in The Dark Knight Rises, Bane was, was kind of changed a little bit. You know, he was made more into, like, like a terrorist. Um, and his his actual origin w- was was tweaked a bit. And then, um, I'm assuming you saw Iron Man 3? Yeah. Okay, and then, there, you know, the question came up with, with how the Mandarin was, was kind of changed and all that. 
So I'm I'm wondering, like you as a, a fan, not not just because you wrote Bane, um, how do you feel about when characters like that are 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 changed? Because you know the, the way I looked at it is, you, you you take Bane's story. You know he grew up in a prison. You know and and then when he finally escaped, you know he wanted to take down Batman. But I don't think in in the Nolan universe, I don't think Batman had the same like stature that he he does in in the DC universe because it's almost like do would people outside of Gotham really know who Batman is because I mean he 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 fought Scarecrow and yeah he saved the city I don't think anyone really knows that he had this conflict with Rachel Ghul and, and and the League of Shadows whatever they call it in the movie and then right. then he takes on the Joker in a dark night we can we can assume maybe there's some some stuff happened in between those those two movies you know maybe he fought someone else and and then you know with the harvey dent stuff then he he's he goes into hiding for eight years so it wouldn't really make sense for bane to say i want to take down batman um but and at the same time it's like would, would it really work to have this dude wearing you know a wrestling mask and, and pumping some you know drug into the back of his head so it's like you know how, how do you feel about that as a as a comic reader seeing you know when characters are changed for the big screen um honestly when characters are changed for the big screen the the biggest thing that matters to me is that they stay true to the core concept of the character and that the story told with them is a really good story because obviously like even you look at uh uh nolan's joker nolan's joker's drastically different than the comic Joker down to the fact that, you know, he has, uh, like, you know, the, the white face is entirely makeup. Like there are those little, little differences that, you know, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because they, uh, you know, they created something so true to the core of the character, um, that, and, you know, distilled it down and told a great story with them that I, I really did, you know, I really did enjoy it. And in a movie like Iron Man 3, where uh, it's subverted in a major way, um, you know, I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, I like, you know, because the problem is if they did direct adaptations of every, like, for of comic book uh, stories for the screen, and even if, you know, like every time you saw an origin in comics, if it was the same thing you've seen over and over again, it's just boring. Like I've seen those stories. <laughs> I've read those stories and I love a lot of those stories, but it, like, believe me, I love them, but it's like, I would rather experience something new. Uh, and I, I want to be surprised. I don't want like, I, I hate it when I go into a movie and I know exactly what's going to happen beat by beat every step of the way. I much rather, you know, sit down and a movie totally veers in a direction I never saw coming and does something totally new. Like, you know, it's, and with Iron Man 3, I think it absolutely did that. I think the movie has, you know, a little, some uh, bumps and bruises around the edges, but it's uh, like... At the, but I enjoyed the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. Like I had fun watching every minute of that movie. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that they did totally subvert uh, how they approached the Mandarin. Like, and I, I was absolutely fine with that. Like, cause you know, 
that approach to the Mandarin doesn't take away the great approaches to the Mandarin that we've seen in the comics. And it, you know, it just, uh, it gives a new take like, yeah. So, so, okay. Now let's say they finally get around to doing another Batman movie and they're like, we're going to bring in this character, Calvin Rose, but we're, we're going to make him like a, a grocery store clerk. Would would you be like, okay. But that's not true to the, like, if he was a grocery store clerk who, you know, like, the thing is, is that it, the most important thing is that they stay true to uh, core or they somehow subvert the core and do something interesting with it. Like, you know, honestly, like, you know, I, I the, the possibility of, uh, Calvin Rose showing up in a Batman movie seems pretty far fetched to me, but it's like you know I could see the Court of Owls showing up. Um, in a I could definitely see that in a Batman movie. Um, All right, but then what if they did have the Court of Owls and they okay? Because my my problem with with um the third X Men movie, um X Men United whatever is you know Psylocke was was a minor character it wasn't even mentioned. And, you know, wasn't even given a name in the movie. And, just, and then she was killed, you know, disintegrated. And then yeah. when the credits go, you see Psylocke played. By, and I was like, what? It's like, you had Psylocke in a movie, didn't even have it. You know, there's no real presence. And then he just, you know, obliterated her. So, you know, that that annoyed me. So what if they had the Court of Owls and then there's one guy and they're just like, Here, here's Calvin Rose. And then, you know, he gets taken out with like a broomstick or something. I mean, yeah, that, that, that might bother me a little, but it's just like, but I also think that that's, uh, yeah. I mean, I think when you just sort of throw characters in there to be thrown in there and I think we, you know, the, like, I think the X movies are, it's so easy to do that just because they want colorful power sets and uh, for minor characters. Um, so they do introduce characters and because it's the X-Men and there are so many of them and everyone has their favorites there, it's very easy to feel shortchanged uh, when, you know, one character that you think should be a major character only shows up for like a couple of seconds. Um, and it seems like they're sort of wasted. And I, I like I I was frustrated with those moments too. Like I was, you know, I was always waiting for the Colossus moments to, you know, he he had a couple of cool moments, yeah. but I was always ex- waiting for him to take center stage in a big way. And then it's like, but hey, um take the kids out of here and then yeah. don't don't show up again. Yeah, exactly. Um but I mean, you know, like it, I I don't know. For me, at the end of the day, I just want I just want to enjoy what I'm reading and what I'm watching. And like, if they had kind of a throwaway Calvin Rose line in a movie that, and that might bother me. But as long as the movie itself was fun to watch and was good, then you know, I think I could get over it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I think it would be more, you know, like. If Calvin's if Calvin Rose's name was tossed into a really bad movie, then I'd be a little like, "What, what the hell are they doing? Why are they doing this?" <laughs> All right, let's um talk about the Eighth Seal. So, um, second part is out. Yeah, and it's 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 pretty pretty crazy in in a, in a good <laughs> way, of course. So, um, how, how many parts is this going to be again? Uh, the first 
the first act is going to be ten parts. So we see them as three ten-part acts. Um, and, you know, I think this section we're going to, like, they'll be coming out a little, uh, you know, oh, they're only coming out monthly right now. We are hoping to maybe, uh, especially for the further acts, to have them come out a bit, uh, a bit more frequently. Uh, but for right now, like, this is, this is how they're unrolling. We have it all... The, all the beats are laid out, um, you know, and uh, Jeremy Rock, my incredible artist on the book, is uh, hard, hard at work to do terrifying, horrifying things that are coming out of both of our imaginations and we're throwing it on the page, you know. Uh, like, this is my first creator-owned project, and part of what I was setting out to do is try to tell the kind of horror story that I would want to watch or read. And uh I feel like I'm I feel like we're doing that and uh the response has been absolutely incredible. And so we should point out that uh pe- people can get this on Comixology. Yeah. So and you can uh basically the way we're doing it is uh you can read it for free on thrillbent.com or you can buy it for 99 cents on Comixology. The Comixology version has extra production material. You can see how we make a book like this because it's a thrill-bent format comic. So it's, you know, it uses layering techniques in really cool, interesting ways that sort of break the mold of uh, standard, you know, standard print conventions Mm -hmm. where you can, you know, change elements on the page but keep... But without it, it's not like a motion comic. It's not. It does. It's not just like weird little gimmicks and tricks. Yeah. It's. It still keeps uh, the reading of the comic in control, in the power of the reader. I mean, uh, which and that's the thing that makes a comic a comic. Yeah, uh, the pacing of a comic it needs to be in the con- in the reader's power. Because I, I I compare it to Marvel's Infinite Comics, and I'm, I'm sure you know Thrillbent probably doesn't want that, but you know I, I know. People no, are. I mean, like, uh, Thrillbent, uh, I mean, Thrillbent started by Mark Wade, and uh, Mark Wade did the first Infinite comic. It's absolutely, it's the exact same idea of what they were trying to do over there. Um, so, like, that, it's, but yeah, this is, uh, this is where we're sort of experimenting with the form, trying to do new things, and we've the, you know, when I first saw the first couple of comics come out uh, via... Uh, thrill bent i saw that there was this great potential uh to do a horror story um because you know the biggest thing that it having being able to twist the pace of the comic and being able to layer in things is that you uh you can build tension in a much different way than you can on the page on the printed page because in a print comic you only get a skit you can only have there's only one moment for a potential scare uh, every two pages. It's whenever you have the page turn. That's yeah. the moment you can actually like shock a comic reader. And uh, that that moment is brought into every swipe mm-hmm. uh, through through this. And that doesn't just mean and that doesn't mean that this is like a jump out and scare you kind of comic, but it means that the tension builds in a much different way because you don't know what's coming next. Yeah, and it, yeah. It always bothered me like you know, when when you do turn a page and then you look at the second page and there's something there and I'm always like, oh man, because you know you got to read that the first page and but you, you already know what's going to happen at the bottom of the next page. So right, that, that's great. And 
Uh, the the one scene in the in the first issue, I, I did show that to my daughter. <laughs> Why? Why did you do that? <laughs> no, she, I mean she 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 can handle certain things, and okay. you know I, I always tell people that, um, like with, with Scott Snyder's when when Joker's talking to Commissioner Gordon, and you know he he. He talks about sometimes I I lay under your bed and listen to your breathe. I told her about that, and people are like, "Why would you tell her that?" But my my reasoning is because her her bed she has like a, a high frame or like a thick frame, so a person couldn't fit under her bed. So she knows that. But then like her response was like, "Well, if if it's a Joker cat, you know, he can fit under there because yeah. our cat used to hide under her bed." And but no, <laughs> she she can handle it. And I asked her, I was like, "Here, something is, is kind of creepy." It's really cool. I was like, "Do you want to see it?" And she thought about. It. She's like, "Yeah." So, so she she just looked at it and she's just like, "Okay." <laughs> and, but yeah, I mean that that was that was just so creepy. But like you said, it, it's it's not not necessarily like gimmicky creepy or you know like you say jump out at you. But it's it's just you're not expecting it, and it, it's 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 not gratuitous in a way. It's just like it's like whoa, and and that that's what what's. I was going to say charming about this, but <laughs> but that, that's that's what, what what's great about this is just you know you never know what's going to happen in that that next swipe, and so it's like I'm and and this is also one of those situations where I mean I I love the tradition you know I love the DC comics and Marvel comics you know Batman comics, but with those you always kind of know where things are going to go, and you know like even w- with someone like Calvin Rose where his future is kind of still unwritten. You know, you guys can kind of do almost whatever you want, like killing him, turning him into a, a you know, true talent. But what, what at the end of the day, you always know that like, you know, Batman's going to win. You know, he, he may have some right. bruises and stuff like that, but you know, the good guys always win. But with this, it's like, you have no idea. And, and that's what I, what I like about creator own stuff. And, you know, just the, something different and new it's because you really have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and in writing it, that's, I mean, having that kind of control and, you know, not ever having to worry about going back to the status quo or sort of reasserting anything in a given way. Um, like that, that's the freedom of like a creator owned project. And this is my first creator owned project. And I want it to be the first of many, like I, like, I, I think I've said this before, but it's like I, I look at, uh, you know, my my dream, sl- like, writing slate. And that was, it's, uh, I think it was Brian K. Vaughn when he was doing Runaways and uh, Ultimate X-Men at the same time doing Why the Last Man and Ex Machina. And it's just like he had two things that he had total control over. He had a big blockbuster style uh like superhero comic and he had a you know another superhero style comic that he also had like his own voice and his own style and it was his idea like being able to tell stories with those kinds of characters and those kinds of stories that you have that kind of control over that's the dream and you know I hope I have the opportunity to keep telling stories like that uh you know over the course of my career is is there any plan like would you like to have this printed, you know, in printed format someday. I'm honestly not sure how we would. And that's, that's what I was, I was wondering. Like, you know, if if someone figures out a cool way with like transparency sheets or something like that, that we could come up with uh, a printed version of this, that would be great. But 
at the end of the day, part of this is an experiment. And what we wanted to experiment with is the ability to uh, do all of these new cool layering techniques without really worrying about like, okay, like, yeah, I, I realized that, you know, we're, we're giving up some, the ability to make some money by not, not, uh, not going for something that could be tr- printed tr- traditionally in an easy way. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, this is this is us experimenting with everything we can do with this style and that is the important thing to us we just want to come up with cool ways we can scare people in the digital space yeah because i'm I'm trying to think back i i think in the avengers versus x-men hardcover which i do have i think they did reprint the the infinite comics there and you know they said that was you know gonna be the only time they reprinted it and you are gonna have to like make a big sacrifice because it just it interrupts the or it, it takes away the flow of of how so it's like i don't even know how you could do that but yeah so i was just curious if, if that's something that you thought about or yeah yeah i mean like I, every now and then it's just like i sort of imagine what it would look like and how it would work but like literally it would have to use transparency sheets and you probably couldn't like i it's it wouldn't read like a regular comic. Like I'm sure there's a cool way that someone could c- come up with a way to print it, but right now, you know, we just want pe- want it to be out there and we want people reading it and uh just to keep having fun and experimenting. Yeah. All right. Uh I I know your time is coming to an end with on our show today, but um so pe- people know you you used to be a student of Scott Snyder, yes, I did. So, what was the uh, what was the name of his course? Because I, you know, I never asked him. I, I don't know if I've ever. I know he, you know, he still does it. But what what was the actual like course title? I mean, honestly, it was just a writing workshop, and I think that's what it was like. White writing workshop three or something like that, because there were a lot of people who had a class named writing workshop. Um, like the, when I was Scott's student, it was before he had written a single comic book. So he was not teaching comic book writing. He was just teaching regular fiction writing. Uh, and it just so happened that when I was taking that course, it's when he, uh, he had just written a short story and, uh, a collection of superhero short stories. Um, and that's what got the attention of both Vertigo and Marvel. Um, and so it was, at the end of that first year that I knew him, uh, which I think that was, you know, my sophomore year of college, like that was when his, uh, his first one shot came out from Marvel, the human torch one shot. And that's like, that's the first thing he ever, first comic he ever wrote uh, And he was, you know, he was pitching American vampire, but the, <coughs> uh, but the thing was that, you know, like I was the comics kid in the class uh, and he was starting to get in with the comic people. He had gr- grown up on comics and loved loved comics, but you know he'd been focusing on uh, short fiction and a couple of novel ideas and stuff in in that period. Um, and he sent me a rough his rough pitch for American Vampire, and sort of rather than sort of be like, oh hey that's cool, I sent him back like a. 10 page critique, not like a rip it apart critique, but Mm -hmm. just a like, Oh, here's some ideas. This is something that you could do. What, like, why are you doing this? Like, you know, what's the, like, just, you know, very 
you know, uh, just me kind of very much overstepping my bounds. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, because I sent that, uh, that thing, he kept sending me like, okay, this is while he was working on stuff and while he continued developing the pitch and everything, uh, you know, he would send me little, uh, ideas of, you know, we spent a long time working on a young adult book that, uh, he was going to write that didn't end up happening and stuff like that. Just, you know, uh, we developed like a real back and forth relationship uh, And once I got out of college and I was working in, uh, in advertising for a few years, um, you know, I was still like, you know, on the phone with Scott several, like a couple nights a week, just sort of chatting through, uh, you know, his DC stuff and, uh, and his other stuff. And once it, and then there came the moment where he finally, uh, when they asked him when his plate was totally full, if he could do eight extra pages a month on Batman in the backups and, he didn't have the time to do that on his own. So, you know, he gave me a call because I've been the guy he's been calling, uh, for the last few years, just sort of talking shit through. Um, and that was, you know, that's when I, uh, that was my breaking in moment. And like, and he had been helping me with my stuff for a long time. I'd been sending in, uh, like any place that, accepts unsolicited submissions. If they go back now and search through their piles, they can probably find something from me. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, the, like, and he'd been helping me with my scripting and all of that. So he knew like where, where I, I was at as a writer in that moment. Uh, and so, you know, he brought me on board and that's, that's the reason I'm writing comics now. I'm, like, I, I know that I'd be, like, comics have always been the goal for me. I would, like, even if I hadn't had my break uh, yet, I would still be submitting and, you know, trying to find artists and stuff like that. That's what I'd be doing right now if I wasn't writing comics. Uh, but, but yeah, that's that's how it happened. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. So, it's like, you know, we, we all need to thank Scott for that because... You know, with what you're doing on, on Red Hood and with Talon, just all the backups. And I mean, I don't know if people necessarily realize it. it's like because you know you're doing backup after backup, and and they're all you know amazing. So, <laughs> Thanks, man. So yeah, the, I love working on those backups, and it's like it. It's great because you know with Scott's, uh, you know, with the stature of a book like Batman, I get to work with like literally the coolest artists in the world. Like I've. I've worked with Raphael Albuquerque, Jock, uh, Alex Maleev, like, you know, uh, Raphael is coming back and doing the, the backups for the first section of, uh, zero year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's awesome. Um, like it's incredible. Now, did you have to call him Mr. Snyder in class? No, I mean, that's the one one benefit of going to a weird liberal, liberal arts school like Sarah Lawrence is, uh, you know, you call all your teachers by their first name. <laughs> now, now he's is he still doing the, the the class? Is he still crazy? Like, you know, he's he's doing a million books and everything like that. And he, did, I yes, uh, I think now he's only. Te- I think he's teaching mostly at the graduate level, but uh, and he is now teaching comics uh, rather than uh, pure short uh, short fiction. Um, but but yeah, it's. Uh, like he, I know we had a course up at Sarah Lawrence this past semester. 
and I bet there's like a huge waiting list, like comics with Scott Snyder. <laughs> I mean, like, it, I think it's a very, very in-demand course. Yeah, I'd imagine. Or maybe someday you'll you'll have your own course. I, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. I, th- I feel like I'd feel like a fraud if I uh, if I did it anytime soon. I think I need to, you know, I think I need a few more years out there figuring it out, and then then I'll be able to bestow my wisdom. Yeah, because because I I taught high school for for many years. I taught math, and oh yeah, and um. Just thinking back, I mean, I, I don't even know how I got into teaching math. It's, it's not like I set out, like, I want to be a teacher. It just happened. And <laughs> and I, I'm just thinking back, like, my first day standing in front of kids and, you know, trying to teach them math of all things. And, <laughs> and you know, things actually, you know, eventually evolved. And, you know, it, it was fun. It's like you, it, it's, it's great teaching someone that wants to learn. Right. And, and even, you know, there, there's those kids that don't want to learn, but you kind of trick them into learning. And then you yeah. you get to see them turn around. So I mean, I I do miss teaching you know that part of it. You know all the other politics. You know obviously I'm I'm fine without having to deal with that. But teaching is is a great thing, and and you know people should be appreciative of their teachers. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so I, I know you need to get going. So when is the next issue of Eighth Seal coming out? Um. It- Towards the end of next month, uh, the next thing coming out from me is the Batman 21 in two weeks it, mm. or one week, I guess, from second week of June. Okay, uh, that's uh, that's the big one that's coming out then, followed by uh, Red Hood 21 the following week and then uh, Talon number nine the week after that. Okay. So, yep. Lots to look forward to. Oh yeah, and I'm not even going to ask you what what you're doing in, in Batman because I'm sure it's top secret. So. Yeah, we got we got really cool stuff planned. Ugh. It's a whole new take on Bruce's training. Can't uh, wait. Moments that you've never like we we didn't want to do him training in the Himalayas because we've seen that all a thousand times before. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it's other because you know the idea is that he went out there and trained with the best people in the world. And he, and this is him training for all of the weird little things that you might not have, you might not expect. So, uh, where it's, they take place all over the world and there's, they're really fun stories. Okay. So, all right. Thanks yeah. a lot, James. So, um, we'll definitely have to do this again sometime. Absolutely. And people need to pick up everything. Anything that your name is attached to, they should pick up. <laughs> Unless, I, unless it's, I, I approve that message. Unless it's like <laughs> like your 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 cable bill or something like that. Yeah, don't pick up my cable bill, please. <laughs> All right. So thanks a lot. All right. All right. So that was James Tynan the fourth, and you know, just check out his stuff. Like like I said, I mean, and you know, one of the ones one of the stories that really pops up is like, uh, what was it Batman? Oh, now I don't even remember. It was um, I think it was Batman Zero. Where we saw the the Robins and it, I, I it was, it was just great stuff. So I can't wait to see what what's coming up, what he's going to do in in Batman twenty one zero year. So crazy stuff, and I, I still can't believe he killed Calvin Rose. I mean, it's just that's crazy. It's like unless what well, I was going to bring up. I mean, unless eventually if. Bruce Wayne, you know, when they, he, he, if he does get taken under Bruce's wing, 
Bruce or Lucius or someone finds some way to counteract the Talon form. But I don't know if he can do that because he was technically dead and it was resurrected. So I don't know if you can just say, we're going to purge this from your system and then you'll be dead again. But you'll you'll look human. So we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Uh, I want to try to get to some of your questions. So um, let's see. Okay, this is from Alex Lavelle. And he says, at some point in the last couple of weeks, you mentioned on one of the podcasts that the X-Men and Spider-Man cartoons from the 90s were largely based on runs from the comics. Um, I was aware of this, but had never really connected the dots before to ask this question. Like what I assume to be many, maybe most others, the way Spider-Man cartoon from the time ended still bugs me because it never got any resolution. So is there an arc in the comics that would work to wrap up the storyline that Peter um, that had Peter trying to find a real Mary Jane? All right, so this is a bit of a spoiler, but this is the, the cartoon from the 90s. I think this Spider-Man um, series is on Netflix still. So it's uh, just I think it was just called Spider-Man. And um, so this this is the one where Mary Jane always wore like the yellow yellow shirt, sweater shirt, and like jeans, like denim pants. <laughs> Every single time. She's, like, she's supposed to be a fashion model, whatever. She always wore the same outfit. Pretty much. I'm sure maybe she changed once in a while. So what happened? Oh, God. Um, so I, I dug the, the, the series for the most part. I, I always had I, – I, was, I always thought it was weird how Peter Parker looked so different. And you know I wasn't crazy about the shirt he, he always wore all the time. But aside from that, I mean, it, 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 was, it was good. It was, it was a great series. Um, I, you know, I'm not crazy about how they handled Secret Wars, but at least we got you know, a, a version of it. So that, that was cool. And you know, there was a crossover because you know, like Storm was on there. You know, you know, he had other characters. Uh, the way it ended, so I'm going to spoil the Mary Jane part. This is from what I remember because I haven't watched this probably since the 90s when it was out. There was a whole thing where, you know, because Mary Jane, she, her, her father, she hadn't had any contact with, with her dad for a while. And so I think he kind of turned back up, came into her life, and she kind of got pulled into it. And then I think he was like in some like crazy kind of cult because they're all wearing these gowns. Again, this is just my, my vague memory, which is getting worse over the years. Uh, so she gets gets pulled into this and then there's like this other dimension and Mary Jane was gone and, and Spider-Man's like where's Mary Jane and, and then I guess the show ended and then it's like we never knew so it's like what the f- what what how and because I, I think I'm trying to remember they might have even gotten married I'm trying did they actually do the marriage jeez someone has a comment on this below um, in the comment section on comicline.com because um, I'm trying to remember how that was. I mean, it, it was just a crit is very frustrating. And I think because of that, I've tried not to think about it. So in answer to your question, Alex Lavelle, this was, was not, had nothing to do with the comics. There was, there was no, no direct story with that. Her, there was never an, uh, a story with her dad popping back up in this weird cult and her disappearing or going in another dimension or whatever alternate reality. And, so the the answer is there is nothing. You're not going to get any any resolution. Um, there's no closure on this. It is just crazy. So we just have to say, yeah, maybe Spider Man got a Madam Web, Doctor Strange, and they found her and they lived happily ever after. And Joe Casada had nothing to do with breaking up their relationship. Um, Alexo says you've mentioned before that 
you worry if members with low post counts get impatient and wander off. I obviously can't speak for because Alex right now has eleven posts, and this um, was posted um, looks like like a month ago. Um, he says I don't have much time to spend on the forums. I read the news and listen to podcasts on my fairly lengthy commute. But most of my post count is from the occasional post to ask a podcast question. So that's great because, like I said, um, every once in a while I'll see someone ask a question and it's like two posts. And then it's like it was posted like like a month ago. I'm like, crap. You know, they, they probably been waiting for, for us to answer this question. And they're like, screw these guys. They don't answer these questions. But so it's, it's nice to know. And that that's the thing. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that either. So here's a little um, kind of like behind the scenes thing where, you know, if, if you look at uh, some – stories or some articles you know you'll you'll see some that you know maybe they have 30 comments or you know 50 comments or you know some of them even get get into like the hundreds like you know 100 and something comments that does not translate into page views um you know we have i mean it doesn't even come close i mean the page views are are well into the thousands like you know ten thousands um and we have a lot of people you know, when you look at like who's online or, you know, and all that, we have a lot of people that come to the site that aren't necessarily logged in or may not even have a, a an account. Uh, constantly, you know, we we see people at conventions where they come up to them and are like, hey, you know, yeah, we, you know, check out your stuff and this and that. Love you. And not necessarily love you, but really like you in a, in a friendly way. But then, and then you're like, well, great. What's, what's your username? And they're like, I don't have one. So, you know, we, we get a lot of people. I, I, I lovingly call them lurkers where, you know, they, they check everything out. But so it, it's, it's interesting to think that because, you know, a lot of times you don't really think about it. Obviously, I, I spend a lot of time looking at page numbers at views to see, like, you know, what's working, what's not working and so forth. But just something for, for people to, to think about. So it's nice to know that people with low post counts aren't like just getting frustrated and leaving. Um, Lieutenant awkward says, does Superman's invulnerability extend to his hair? If so, how does he cut it? Um, okay. So a little after this, all-star Superman jumped in to, to try to answer this because he probably knew it was going to take me forever to get to this. He says, there's a piece of kryptonite metal he has when he needs to shave, he bounces his laser vision off it and burns excess hair away. This is actually something that's um, come up a lot, um, especially recently because of Man of Steel. And, you know, there's, there's a scene where Henry Cavill has a, has a beard. So a lot of people are like, how is he going to shave and, and all that? So, yeah, the, the whole shaving thing, it's, it's been shown in a, a, at least a couple, like two or three different comics. It was even shown in... I think it was in one of the the Adventures of Superman digital comic. Yeah, it was. I think it was this week's. I think it was issue five that Josh Vilkov wrote. Um. So it and and Superman animated series was shown there. John Byrne. I don't know if John Byrne was the first one that, that showed it, but basically he had this. And a lot of times he, he does this on mirror, which doesn't make sense if he uses a regular mirror. But you know he he basically would bounce his his heat ray vision. And reflected off of usually a Kryptonian piece of metal, and it just shaves, you know, it burns off the hair on, on his face. I don't think that necessarily 
um, applies to his hair. Um, cause if you think about it, that's gonna get really tricky. And it, like, how is he gonna cut the back of his hair? You know, he's gonna have to get, you know, a, at least a couple different mirrors and, you know, really know the geometry of it and you know, reflection, um, to, to bounce the rays off. People may also may not, not know that, uh, like if you play pool or miniature golf, there is a lot of geometry involved and, you know, reflection. So if you ever, if you're taking a high school or, or college course about that, you should try to see how you can apply that and become a better pool player and, you know, knowing where you should hit. Of course, there's also, you know, the momentum and how hard, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, as far as the shaving thing, there is a website um, where a lot of people are talking about this and it's called howdoesheshave.com. So this is actually a who's um this is sponsored by Gillette and they actually have a bunch of different peeper 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 they have a bunch of people giving their thoughts like Kevin Smith, um, Adam Savage, um Bill Nye. So you know you can check that out to see what they say about how he shaves. But the hair thing is, you know, it how how does he cut his hair cuz you can't take regular scissors. It's not like like well, he's super strong, so he can squeeze you know the the scissors to do that because his hair should be like steel too. And you know, I think there's even a story or something where uh, Lex Luthor tried, or I, I think Superman auctioned off a strand of his hair, and then Lex got a hold of it and got his DNA off of that. But you know, you got to be be pretty tricky with that. So, um. I think there is there is also an issue of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen where he's like cutting his hair or someone's cutting it and the scissors are breaking or maybe Jimmy did cut it. A lot a lot of weird stuff. But um they don't really talk about how he cuts his hair. So maybe he had Kryptonian scissors also what in in the he had like a like a little kit um like travel kit when they stuck him in in the plane cuz they're like he, his parents are probably like he he's going to become like a god among men and he's going to need to be able to cut his hair or he's going to look kind of silly. So they, they put scissors in there. Okay. All-star Superman also says, um, Hey, sorry about the dude coming on your video. I was going to say you were right about everything, but I don't buy comics for naked people. So this, Oh, this, uh, this is about, um, women in comics and stuff like that. Um, all-star Superman says, I buy them for storylines and action. That said, the problem with kids' comics is the art. If, um, say, they put Gary Frank or Kenneth Roquefort on a kids' book, a lot more people would buy it. Um, there, there are some some all ages books or kids' books that that have some some good art, like um, uh, Young Justice. I, uh, man, I I was just thinking about the the artist, um, but that had some some good art. And and the other thing is when when you have these animated books, not not so much like Young Justice, but a lot of time like like the Brave and the Bold, or um, or even like like when they had the the Super Friends comic, the recent DC Super Friends, the artists, even if you take like like Simpsons comics, you know, you get these artists and they have to basically adapt their style to look like what the the vibe of the book is. So if you're doing a Simpsons comic, you need to be able to draw it in the Simpsons style. So if you get someone, because like like Sergio Aragones, I remember he did a story before. But let, let's say you do take someone like Jim Lee, and you're like, "Hey Jim, you you have to do the Simpsons comic." He, he can't draw it his style. You know, 
you may see some slight influences, but if you're going to get someone like him to do a Simpson story, you kind of have to do it in the Simpson style, even though the idea of Jim, I, I want to know how Jim Lee would draw the Simpsons. Let's think about that. <laughs> oh man. Maybe someday we'll make that happen. Uh, so yeah, you, you kind of can't, you, you you can't put the the fault or the blame or accuse the art on on kids books because a lot of time they they have to have a certain style but i there have been some books where you know i've looked at the art and i'm just like this is okay you know this is good art you know it, it's more consistent than what i could do but it's not like you know knock you off your seat and on the other hand you know depending on on what your 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 target age group is you know, if if you're you're writing a comic to five year olds, which you know I'm not trying to belittle that and saying that's a bad thing, but you know you're not going to put you know your your top tier heavy hitter on a book that that only five year olds are going to read because let's let's be honest, you know five year olds they they can be very um, attuitive and, and attentive, attentive, and you know they can notice things, but they may not notice as much as someone who may be a more um, experienced reader, so. And and then there's a whole thing with with the, again with the sales and you, know, you 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 have to assume also that someone like Gary Frank or Kenneth Roquefort may cost more than you know a a, a newcomer artist. So there's there's got to be a budget on these books too, and you know they have to hope that people will buy them, and they have to make a profit. You know you have to look at sales, but it it would be great if we could have more recognizable names on all age books, you know, try to get more people because again, all age doesn't have to mean just for kids. So we'll have to see about that because I would like to see more all age books, but sometimes it gets a little hard, like, like Marvel adventures, like the different books there, you know, sometimes the covers look cool and the stories will be good, but then, you know, you get, there'll be a couple panels where it's just like, uh, I don't know. Um, okay. This next one is from the fool, but I think, uh, hopefully you're going to listen to this. Um, cause I think this was intended for the regular podcast. Um, but I'm just going to answer this now because cha- I don't know what the chances of me remembering to pull this one out for the other podcast. Um, cause it says, first off, I just want to say, love the podcasts. So I'm assuming that means you're listening to both of these. So you enjoy listening to me twice and not just, um, Sarah and Corey. Um, it says, so the fool says they downgrade my work day from soul suckingly tragic to a bearable soul molestingly uncomfortable. Okay. Um, so I answer these questions, three home slices. Um, do you think events in either Marvel or DC are driven primarily by commercial gains or purely creative pursuits that get turned into cash cows after the fact with tie-ins? Knowing you keep in touch with a lot of contemporary creators, um, thought you might have a little more insight than me on the subject. Um, I'll be honest, this isn't something that that ever really came up. And I, I would say, based on what I know, um, and my experience or whatever, I would say it's a little, little of, of both. Um, there are definitely some events that, you know, editorial and, you know, it could be also the creator because you, you hear about like these big Marvel summits and I, you know, I think DC does them as well 
where you know you get a bunch of people, especially you know a lot of the, the creators. You'll get like the X Men are, are writers together, or the Batman writers, or whatever, and you know the Avengers writers. And you say, okay, we we need a, another event. We need some big story for the summer. We need a, a, a big event for the fall. And you, know, you try to come up with an idea. So it's a little bit of both because obviously the publishers want the events because they will hopefully potentially sell more books. And, you know, if you have a big event like Infinity, you know, coming up or, you know, Avengers versus X-Men or, you know, anything like that where you can have these tie-in issues, that's great. Because then, you know, if you can put that little banner, that little logo drawing these books together, there's the the possibility of more people picking up that book where someone may be reading uh, like an X-Men book, but they're not reading all the Avengers book. They may say, okay, Secret Avengers, Avengers versus X-Men tie-in. I'll I'll see you know check it out see what, what's what's going on here and, and maybe you know they'll they'll get hooked into it same thing with like Age of Ultron and all that so um, on the one hand they they want to turn them into cash cows you know being perfectly blunt because they need to make money they are a business they need to be profitable they need people to buy comics they need to sell comics so they can keep doing what they're doing and you know they have to. Um, report to stockholders or whatever and you know whoever the higher ups are and they need to prove that okay here's our profits from last year now we're going to you know raise it to this you know this level so they 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 have to make money and then there's also the possibilities like could this turn into something else could this at some point be um inspiration for some you know movie or video game or you know animated something or other so there's that on the other hand, I'm sure when these these creators get together, they might say, you know, like you know, we we heard James talking about, you know, he he would love to do something um, with with Nightwing with with Kyle Higgins, and it wouldn't have to be like this big huge epic crossover, but it's something that they would like to do, you know, if, if they've been in talks about this to to f- further along both their characters. So there is that that creative ability, and you know, when you get all the X-Men writers together, they may say, hey, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And then, you know, because I would love to, to take on this angle in my book and then, you know, have, you know, you, you can do this with, with your characters. So it, it's definitely a little bit of both. So I don't know if, if I just took way too long answering that question. Um, next for Nafool says, as an aspiring comic book writer, I'm curious to get critical feedback from someone whose business is comics. Any chance I could bounce an idea off any of you or even a draft of an issue? I understand you guys are busier than beavers during damn season, but I thought I'd ask, especially since I'm after criticism, not praise. Um, I I can can offer is, you know, if you want to send an email in and you you can send it to the regular podcast email, um, just podcast at comicvine.com and Put in your subject heading um, feedback for idea or something like that, and you know I I I'm you know being perfectly honest I can't guarantee that I will get to it right away. We do or at least I do occasionally get um, a lot of um, review requests for you know indie books and stuff that you know that is not mainstream, but. As as much as I, I I'm always for giving you know the the little people the little guys um, some attention you know because it's not just about Marvel and DC you know and you know you've seen we we've been trying to put more like Vertigo um, 
interviews and news up, but it's, it's just hard when, you know, in a sense, you know, we are kind of like a business as well. We need to give the people what they want. And a lot of people in our community, you know, like I said, when I look at the numbers, the numbers show people want to hear about Marvel and DC stuff. So, you know, we, we kind of have to give them that and, you know, trying to do a spotlight on something that no one's ever heard of. It's hard to not kind of like justify it in a way because, you know, who's going to look at this. But on the other hand, it's not fair to say, well, no one's ever heard of this. So let's just completely ignore it because that could be the next great thing. And, you know, maybe that that little slight bit of, of exposure could be, you know, like, look what happened with, with James. You know, he, he took this class with, with Scott. Scott happened to say, you know, when the time came up, he went to DC. He's like, hey, I know this guy that, that has some good ideas. And then now he's writing, you know, Jason Todd and Starfire and, you know, his talent. He's doing backups in, in Batman, you know, the top selling comic. So all I can suggest is, is send that in. I, I will do my best to try to, to, you know, say what it is. And as long as you're um, open to criticism and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not about like saying this sucks or whatever like that, but you know, I, I have done it in the past where I've, I bounce ideas with, off with people. So, um, give it a shot. Hopefully, uh, find some time but i I mean i'd I'd love to help out if i can um third from the fool says how is it after dan slot's controversial amazing spider in 700 i'm the only one using the nickname dr spider puss can i claim a comic vine no prize for coining it um uh, i i've seen a lot of people are using spock for 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 him um dr spider puss i don't know um i still call him superior spider-man because that's what he who he thinks he is. So as far as a no prize, um, yeah, maybe you'll 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 see it on on the way in the mail. Never. Um, thanks for making time to take a gander at my questions and providing the fix I need to remain a podcast junkie. As someone who frequent frequented the site in its infancy, it's great to see Comic Vine has been caught by the undertow of the World Wide Web obscurity. Um. Okay. Um, next is from Batman 404. So, hey, Tony, great show. Never miss it. Thanks. Um, this question is for you and whoever you're, James had to leave. Um, without naming names, unless you want to, is there any artist you dislike so much that no matter who the writer is or what the title is, you just can't buy it? Since I'm basically anonymous, I can say I dislike Steve Dillon. I wanted to like Thunderbolts, but after two issues, I just couldn't take it and... If he ever became the artist on Batman, I would have to stop buying it for the first time in 20 plus years. Since you are anonymous, a simple yes or no is fine. And if Steel, Steve Dillon is your guest today, I'm sorry for the uncomfortable feeling you're having right now. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I'm not really in the, the position to I, – I can't really justify this because – for for the most part, you know, I I kind of need to keep up with everything, and, and you know, I'm buying books that I don't necessarily always read right away. Um, like you know, with Thunderbolts, I got a little bit behind, and you know, some of that is when one of the other um, reviewers, you know, review a book, that kind of gives me a chance to focus on other things. Doesn't necessarily mean I you know I don't want to read those books, but you know, it, there's so many books and so little time. Um, 
if you use something like like Batman, like if if an artist I just did not like um, took on on the book, it, it would depend on how long they were on the book. Like if it was just you know a couple issues or an arc, I could maybe get over it. And you know, as long as there's strong writing or characters that I really cared about, there have been some books where I'm just like, I'm just not not crazy about this art. But yet you, you kind of muddle through it. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone that would just necessarily see like, you know, I absolutely cannot read this. I refuse to read this because I don't like this, this art, but as long as there's enough of a story and it, it, it's matters, you know, if it's going to have some effect and, you know, if it was a mini series, like if there's a Batman mini series with an artist I didn't like, and I would say, yeah, I'll, maybe I'll pass on this. Um, you know, unless people start saying it's really groovy or something. So, I I don't really have the luxury of saying I am absolutely not going to read this because I kind of need to keep track of what's going on just in case something crazy happens. But I'm sure there are other people that feel feel that that same way. And I know with Steve Dillon, you know, some people like him, some people don't. Um, so I'm I'm curious: Are you reading Thunderbolts now that you know Steve Dillon's not not doing the art, or is it like you're just I'm I'm done? I'm not going to come back. Um, Battleform Junkie says, I was watching your latest video, and while you were talking, you referenced certain comics as examples and started showing like 12 different comics you had just laying on a table besides you. And it got me wondering, what's your comic book collection like? look like? And I don't mean um, comics. I mean poster, action figures, everything. I don't know if this has been asked before. It probably has, but I thought I'd ask anyway. Thanks for reading. Um that was actually my my desk at my home office, and and it is crazy. There's there's like so much stuff on there. Uh, I did do a video. Um, I th- I think if you do like a video search for for comic book cribs, like like MT- when MTV had the cribs or whatever, and like Gamespot did a cribs show. Um, so you you can see a lot of my stuff now. My office has changed a bit. Like even I recently painted it, so it's it's not that. Hawaiian passion color it used to be. Uh, a lot of my comic art has not made it back up. I just haven't put them back up yet. And, um, you know, I had I have some original art and, you know, some, some posters and prints and stuff on display. A lot of my stuff, unfortunately, is is in the, in the garage. That's where, like, my, my comic, my long boxes are. In. And I know that's absolutely the worst place to put them because, you know, humidity and moisture – they seem to be doing okay, um, but part of it is I just have so many long boxes. I don't have any place to, to keep them in the house uh, because you know I have a wife and a kid and a, a dog and a cat and two guinea pigs and a hobo cat that lives in our backyard from time to time. But I'm not going to keep comics in the backyard, so that doesn't matter. So, um, I, I have a ton of action figures. Like like way back, I used to have like you know, a, a shelf or two. And, you know, like when the, the star Wars figures came out in the, in the nineties, you know, I would, I would have all those on display or the Spider-Man figures from the nineties the cartoon, the animated series, you know, there are some cool figures there and like some of the spawn figures, uh, different ones. Um, I don't have so much on display now. It's, it's just, it, it becomes a, a little harder when, especially when, when you do have a wife and a kid, because, you know, your, your space is limited so my my I don't really have much on display. You know, with my comics, I 
I keep most of the like the current comics stay here in the the Comic Vine office, and you know there I I buy more trades where you know I'll I'll keep those like on a shelf or somewhere handy. Any like key issues like uh, Secret Wars, I always like to pull those out. Um, there, there's like certain comics that I know where they're at, or maybe I'll keep them on a shelf with like my trades or like in a, a corner of of my desk that you can't even barely see the surface of. So it's not really as exciting as it used to be. So check out that video again. It's comic book cribs or comic vine cribs. Probably if you just do look up cribs in the video, there's that. Um, there's also a sequel video to that, which I don't think it was called cribs, but there is um, where I, I did a focus on my madman stuff on some of my madman stuff, Mike Albright's madman. So you can check out those videos. Uh, let's see. Um, Toastme69 says, you probably get this question a lot. Please don't hate me, but I'm a noob. Do you have any comic suggestions for me to dirty my innocence with? Um, Toastme69, I I need a little more information from you. Um, I, I don't know what – I don't know what you're currently reading. I don't know what you like. Um, like maybe you don't even like superhero comics. So, you know, then maybe I'd say – um, you know, check out the wake that just came out um, by Scott Snyder and Sean Murphy, or you know, Punk Rock Jesus by Sean Murphy, or um, you know, maybe you do like like comics. And I would say, like you know, Batman is great, Daredevil is great, um, X Men number one, Brian Wood just came out with a new X Men series. Or maybe you know, you don't like Marvel, maybe you don't like DC. Um, so it really depends on on what you like and what you don't like. You know, I would I'm I'm digging Superior Spider Man. You know, some people are, are hating the um, the change with what happened to Spider-Man, but something like that, you know, starting with issue 10 or 11 might not be the best place to start because, you know, you want to know what happened before that. So, um, definitely respond back. And, you know, I, I, if if you can tell me like what, what characters you like or what genre you like or what universe you like, then, you know, we, we can help you there. If you're listening to the other podcast as well, you know, we, we talk about each, the weekly book, so you can get an idea there if anything's, it's, you know, piquing your interest or, you know, when we have the guests on, you know, I'd say, you know, James Tynan, you know, anything he does, you might want to check that out. So hopefully that, that helps. Um, Zimmy G says, I was wondering if having spoilers in a forward or introduction of a book get on your nerves. I picked up the Ecstatics Omnibus for a great price. I paid full price for that, but I got this really cool Mike Allred limited print, um, so it's worth it. And I'm reading the series for the first time. The page right after the table content says, what if she'd lived in big, bold letters along with a picture of the character? I won't spoil it here in case you haven't read it. Um, is it just me or should these type of things be in the back of the book? It's it's hard to say. I I think the overall way they're looking at it is, um, if you're selling or if you're collecting stuff in an omnibus, chances are people have read the stuff. Like for me, I want I I love the ecstatics. I love Mike Allred and Peter Milligan. Um, so when that came out, I was like, yes, I want all this collected. They just recently came out with a, a Teen Titans Volume Three omnibus, and I'm just like. I'd love to have that, you know, Marvel and George Prez, even though, you know, I probably have read all those issues or most of those issues. So you kind of know what, what happens like story ideas, but, but yeah, there's going to be some people who haven't um, read, aren't familiar with that. And that could be their first time. So it's, 
it's just the unfortunate thing where what's nice about it is a lot of times they'll get the writer to to kind of introduce their work. Um, like, you know, last week we saw uh, Mike Carey's introduction to Lucifer. And, you know, it, I think that ended in like 2006 or something like that. So you get to it's, – it's great to hear after all these years, what does he have to say about this? How does he – um, going to introduce it or you know what about that one certain event you know how, how does he feel about that now years later so it's great to have that uh, yet at the end as an afterward might might be good but then there's less of a chance of people reading it and in some cases that that's kind of a selling point is having and just an introduction you know something new appear there so I totally get what you're saying and yeah I would be annoyed I guess the way around it is try to skip those pages. If you, if, if, I mean, if, if you're buying an omnibus or even like a huge trade and you have not read, you don't know the, you know, minute details or just general details of what's contained there. I would say, try to try to avoid that part. And if it's in big, bold letters, yeah, that's going to be hard, but I guess just, just try to carefully skip past it. And I would even say, you know, avoid uh, reading the dust jacket too, if there is one, you know, or the the back of the of the book, because there there could be something there. But I th- I think that's just something you you have to be be careful with. So it's a bummer, man. But I guess that's also the risk when even when people rate for for regular trades, you know, the the chances are, especially with the internet, with you know, or, or forums, you're bound to get spoiled so that's just kind of the risk you take and it's not fair if there's something that came out 10 years before you even started reading comics but that potential is there so sorry about that um and let's see uh let's just do one more um this is from ectoborge says hey g man what do you think of the expression it's not about powers it's personality By this, I mean superheroes are often judged upon their powers, like being overpowered or having a lame power. But the heroes that are the most popular seem to have an interesting personality, not just a superpower that is better than everyone else's. Spider-Man being a prime example in this. Um, You know, speaking of Spider-Man, I do think his powers are cool in a way. Um, Not not so much the sticking on walls, which, yeah, that'd be cool because, you know, you don't have to take the stairs or, you know, wait for an elevator. But I, I think... What I really like about Spider-Man, what I think is cool is his agility, the way, you know, he can just flip around and, and move around. I mean, imagine if you could do that, you know, uh, just, you know, avoid if you happen to be in any dire situations where you need to be jumping around, flipping around. But just just to be able to do that, like walk in the park, you're like, bloop, bloop, bloop. And people are like, holy crap, look at that guy. And maybe they'll even start throwing some money in your way. You could be like a little park performer. Um, and then there's, of course, there's, you know, He's got a little bit of speed, you know, with, with that agility and just spider sense would be cool. Although, would that be annoying to have this buzz going on in your head? But as far as what you mean by personality, so yeah, because uh, obviously you look at Batman, he doesn't have any powers. Um, he has abilities, you know, he's trained himself. And, you know, he, we always say, you know, Batman can take on anyone because he's, you know, looks at all the possibilities and, and everything like that. But, you have to have a character that you like. Sometimes it's hard to read a book on a character that is a little skeezy. And I think that's why we don't see 
more books on on villains. You know, there have been some in the past. Like you know, if you look at like like Mark Wade's um, irredeemable or incorruptible, and you know, there's something about a character trying to redeem themselves. But there has to be something there because you can't have a, a a book as fascinating as a Joker might be. And you know, I've, I know I've talked about this before. You you can't have a book with just like a completely vile character. And even if if you take something like like Dexter, the, the TV show, where you know he, he's basically a serial killer. Even though you know he's he is killing evil people, um, you know for some I, I've talked to some people they they say you know as great as that show is and they know the show is great sometimes it gets a little hard for them to, to watch the episodes because it's just so heavy and dark and you can't really say yeah I relate to Dexter and then you know you can't say that like at a dinner party or something like that because then people would be like you know scooting their chairs away from you. So you have to have a, a, a good personality. When when you have those annoying characters, usually they, they tend to be on team books where you can have a character that's like, oh, man, that little – but they're kind of there to to stir the pot a little bit to you know shake things up and, and just to annoy the other characters and to annoy the readers. But if they're like the only one, if all of a sudden you know people joke about Batman being a jerk or Superman being a jerk. But if they were really like that, like all the times, and you know, why would people want 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 to read about some guy that could fly around and is pulling you know pranks on people and just you know being mean to them? So you do have to have have good power or good personality, and of course, having cool powers helps as well. It, it's not one or the other. Um, I don't know if it's geared more towards personality, but obviously, someone has some cool powers. Um, you know, you'd want to read that. Take Talon, for example. You know, there we've seen a bunch of different Talons, um, but Calvin Rose has a personality. You know, he's different than than the other ones. So you do want to see what's going to happen to this guy. You know, is he going to be able to overcome the struggle and break away from the Court of Owls and all that? So that that's that's uh, I, I I like that idea because you know I never really thought about that. Even though you know, like I said, it, they do both play a big part, but you just never really think about that. Okay, on that note, that note, I think we will call this an episode. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks to James Tynan the Fourth. Um, check out his stuff, and definitely look look up the the Eighth Seal if you haven't. That that it's it's gonna kind of freak you out, but not not in like a it's gonna give you chilling nightmares or it's like boogeyman or anything like that. But it's it's a freaky book and and the the way that the swiping works. I mean, it's it's really cool. So if if you have an iPad or um, an iPhone, you can even do do it on on a um a, a computer because I actually I, I I did transfer the the second one to my laptop and I, I read it on there and and depending on how you preview it you know what you use to look at it you know you can still get the swiping effects so it's definitely some cool stuff and uh, yeah uh, it, it'd be nice if it could be printed but it just wouldn't work i mean you would have to compromise you know cut out dialogue or scenes which would be unfortunate so definitely check that out if you have questions you can go on comic vine go to the general discussion forums look for the ask g-man video questions thread it is pinned um, so I am on page 16. So um, this is the last page on there. There's still, still a few questions. Um, maybe a quarter away on there. 
So ask your questions there, and I will get to them over the next um, few weeks. You can also ask on Twitter. So you can at reply me, G-Man from Heck. Use the hashtag, AskGMan, um, and let me know what you think. Let me know what, what you want to know, what I can answer, and I will try. Uh, next week, oh, and I just want to clarify. So, yeah, I know a few weeks ago I said someone was going to be returning, and they haven't because, you know, last week you know, Rick wasn't on before, James wasn't on before. As far as next week, I need to double-check it's it's not going to be. I don't think it's going to be the returning person um, next week. Um, so we'll see. I'm right at this moment. I'm not a hundred percent sure who the next guest will be, but um, I have a tentative um, arrangement or, or planning plan, meeting appointment, whatever you want to call it. Anyways, enough rambling. Thanks for listening. Um, leave some comments, you know, and just let me know what you thought and ask your questions. I'll talk to you guys soon. I love you. So, so my, question my question is, is who could it be? We don't know. And I would like to ask like you which comic book does affect you most emotionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the question. Don't shake your head. I love Alan Davis. This is a John Byrne issue. I love Alan Davis. I, I, I wasn't a fan of this. That's the question. You can't blame the immediate creative team. I give this a two.